Hey, Chloe. Hey, Raf. How are you going? I'm feeling fine. How about you? I'm feeling good too. I feel like that's pretty – people are probably getting sick of like, you guys are always feeling good, but – Every time I get to record these, there was like that one day I was a bit off, wasn't I? I was yeah, a little bit. Your dorsal fin was, a, was bit, a bit floppy. My dorsal fin was floppy. I've had one floppy dorsal fin day. Um, and apart from that, it's really lovely, actually, to be able to say feeling awesome. But that's pretty special to be able to say that, I think. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun, you know, it's it's a pretty fun job. I can't complain. Yeah, and awesome. I've, been really, I've been really working too on – you know, gratitude and the importance of gratitude and, and the effects, you know, that has that has psychologically. And I mean, for anyone out there, highly suggest our our business does RAF implemented um, positive focus. So meetings, you know, team huddles, meetings, and we have one big positive focus company wide a week. And I tell you what, that can shift that can shift your whole day. Hey, we started at the beginning of beginning of COVID, didn't we? Yeah. So all we do is we just, everyone shares one thing that's positive. You know, it can be anything. Hey, I had a good breakfast this morning. I like coffee. It's the sun's shining. You know, my, I'm my, having a good yeah. hair day. Whatever. I'm yeah. like, yeah. Or, or, or it, it can, can be, be like peace, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's really effective. So I, I yes. suggest if you, you know, if you're in any sort of, you know, meeting cycle, you add that in and even just yourself. And it's jump nice. out of bed in the morning and, yeah. And it's science. It yeah. is science. If you if you uh, if you if you say th- or write down three things that you're grateful for each day, you are more happy. Yeah, and tiny habits. Um, he BJ Fogg talks about talks about that in tiny habits too. And the moment your feet hit the ground in the morning, say something you really. It's going to be an awesome day. Going to be an awesome day. That's what you say. And yeah, so so do it, guys. It's really effective. It's really helped me personally. Yeah, I'm going to link to a book by uh, Sonia Lobomorsky, who's a uh, she's a researcher, a happiness researcher, uh, and it, I think it's called The Myths of Happiness uh, from Memory. But anyway, I'll link to it. He's got some really like basically summarizes the last thirty years of research into happiness, and you know down into like here are the six dot points you need to know to be as happy as possible. Um, and wow. one of them is like be grateful for three things every day. That's awesome. Can we link into Tiny Habits too? Because I think everyone. Sure would benefit from that and it's a great coaching uh, tool for all our fellow movement movement teachers out there. Really great coaching tool. What are we going to talk about today or happiness? <laughs> we could talk about happiness. Uh, we're going to talk about something that causes a lot of non-happiness, <laughs> the opposite to happiness, sadness that would be, <laughs> and a lot of nocebo, uh, core stability. Mm. Okay. Mm. Is, that, is that still a thing, is it? It's still a thing. And I have this battle day in, day out when people cue it and use the word is stability. It, is it still 1995? Apparently. Well, like, I do actually really like the fashion from 95, and I also it's really like back, the baby. music yeah. from 95. Um, well, don't really like the some... makeup from 95. Yeah. Let's but... all go to a rave party. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm not going to talk about 1995 was year 12 for me and then next year was into first year uni and some wild times. Anyway, we di- we digress. Core stability, you got to stop. you got to stop saying it's a thing, teachers, and you got to 
think why and we're going to talk about that and we're going to, you know, I guess the, the elephant in the room is that poor stability is relevant to clients' safety, is relevant to clients' experience of pain, um, is an important cue to use, is a, some sort of assessment, is something we have to worry about, is something we have to strengthen, otherwise you're going to collapse on the ground like a stack of blocks. And that it's like an inherent part of Pilates. Oh, yeah. Top how. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you forgot You love this there. topic. Yeah. <laughs> how can I forget that? <laughs> okay. Where do we start? Um, what, 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 what does it, what, like, what is it? Like, what is, what is it? What is core instability? Well, What's it's, your core? It's interesting, it's interesting, <laughs> interesting. Th- that you ask that because um, we talk about core stability so much uh, in Pilates. Obviously not when I say we, it's the royal we, right? Not you and me. Yeah. We don't talk about it. Um, uh-huh. But uh, very few people can actually quantify or in research actually has not really quantified what is core stability. Um, so, you know, what precisely does it mean to be stable uh, in your core? And so, you know, people, if you're listening to this, you might be thinking like, oh, it's keeping your neutral spine um, or, you know, keeping your pelvis, you know, neutral or dissociating your hip, moving your leg, but not your pelvis. Like, yeah, but how do you measure that? And how do you, like, if, if we were going to, like, mm-hmm. put someone in a, you know, some kind of, you know, $100,000 machine that would measure their stability, right? Mm-hmm. And then we're going to say, okay, if you've got a you know this a score of you know this many points or more, you're stable. And if you've got a score of you know fewer than that points, then you're unstable. Like, well, how do you how do you know who gets how many points? Like, what precisely are we measuring? Like, okay, if you keep your neutral spine, well, okay. So how do we measure if you're in neutral spine? You know, uh, and 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 if you deviate from that one millimeter, is that Stable or unstable? Two millimeters, three millimeters, four millimeters. Like, how do you know what's what's the definition of stable versus unstable? Um, mm. and, and it you know it surprised the shit out of me when uh, I think it was only last year a study came out that actually looked at this notion and said like actually there's never been any research on this. No one has ever quantified wow. core stability. And I'm like, holy shit. We've been investigating how important core stability is for like, you know, two decades, but, <laughs> yeah. but no one ever stopped to think like, well, what the fuck is it? Wow. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So, so it's woo? Uh, well, I think, I think the, the word stability is mm-hmm. woo. The word stability okay. is woo. Uh, in in the in the research, they usually don't refer to it as stability. They refer to it as motor control, motor uh-huh. control training, um, or uh, yeah, so deep deep trunk muscle training. Sometimes they call it because in in the in the the research literature, literature uh, invariably what they're looking at is not actually movement. So they're not looking at, you know, did your L5 move relative to your L4 or did your lumbar spine stay neutral or not? What they're actually looking at is did your transversus abdominis, you know, was it recruited before or after your deltoid muscle or your, you know, oblique muscle or whatever? So they're looking at the recruitment 
you know, order of the fire, uh-huh. the firing order of muscles, not at you know, well, why you know why is it important that we fire the muscles? Well, presumably they're keeping us quote stable end quote. Uh-huh. Right? So, but, uh-huh. but what is stable, right? What uh-huh. the fuck is stable? No one knows. Uh-huh. No one's no one's done the research. Mm. Mm. So when I think about when I think about cues that Pilates instructors use or muscles they think that are very you know inherent to this this core stability, well the transverse abdominus activation that that one comes up a lot, doesn't it? Oh yeah. Being that it's the you know the deepest of the core muscles. And I did a little air quote around core muscles because I think too there's conjecture as to what exactly do we group as the core muscles. I feel like there's quite a few. I mean, I you know, I kind of guess, you know, the the most common maybe that I would think of is where, you know, transverse abdominus, pelvic floor, multifidus diaphragm. Yeah. And then what do you think? And like, is that the most common you view? And then are we in Pilates? Well, it's the powerhouse. Well, I think um, broadly there are, there's a large group of people, probably more in the fitness and exercise science world, who would say core is basically everything from your the bottom rib to your pelvis sort of thing. So it's like all of your ab muscles, all of your low back muscles, uh-huh. you know, maybe even including your glutes, you know, in, under some definitions. So like mm-hmm. if you think, if you just go to YouTube and type in like core exercise, there'll be a whole mm-hmm. bunch of ab exercises, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Planks and side planks and curl ups and blah, blah, blah. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that's one definition. Um, and I think, you know, like you said, you know, the deep muscles, you have to say it with a deep voice, um, yeah. the, the transversus abdominis. The transversus abdominis. And the, mm-hmm. the, the psoas, the diaphragm, <laughs> the pelvic floor. Um, yes, and, and you must breathe correctly in yeah. order to ensure that the diaphragm is doing the thing properly and you must engage your pelvic floor by the certain amount to ensure it's doing the thing and, I hope you guys listening to this, and I know a lot of you, we're singing to your bias already. Like, let's be honest. You're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's like, uh, like I hope the more we unpack this, the more you can see that the, you know, the the biomechanics, negate the biomechanics. Is that cancel out biomechanics? Is that is that what we say, Ralph? Yep. Saying? It's like if you understand that, then you can kind of understand how ridiculous this notion is that we need to do this one thing in order for our spine to be stable, right? And and then, you know, the, if we think that we this we put so much so much importance on these things, well that means that the opposite of that means that my spine is inherently unstable. Well, that breeds a lot of fear in me around movement in my own, you know, uh, self-autonomy and trust in my own body to go about my day-to-day tasks to, you know, play with the kids, to do the shopping, to move the bit of furniture, to get on with life, you know, if I'm not doing X, Y, Z, you know, to strengthen this or if I'm not engaging this before I do that. Mm-hmm. My, did I just go down a little path? But that's that's kind of where I see it. Did we talk about, I don't think we've talked about in any of our other episodes, um, that great study. And for me, this was a really good one. Uh, the one on when, you know, cause there's also the link in that if I think Pilates instructors think if they're not doing core stability exercises, uh, their clients may have a greater prevalence of low back pain or that their low back pain clients 
should specifically be doing core stabilization exercises in order to help get them out of pain. And I mean, that's a whole that's a whole conversation on pain and the multifactorial nature of pain. But there's that study um, that they did when we're thinking about, and this loops directly in with uh, transverse abdominis. And I I'm going to put my hand up and say that back in the olden days, back in the earlier in my career, I absolutely did think I needed to do transverse abdominis exercises with my low back pain clients. I, I did. So if you're out there and you have been doing those things or if you're still doing those things, I hear you, but it's time we kind of understand that we we need to move on and mix it up. <laughs> um, and, and there's that study, Raph, and you might be able to actually, you've got such a great recall on studies where they actually showed that that those who presented with low back pain, in fact, their transverse abdominis was firing first slash earlier, had greater activity than those who didn't have low back pain. Can you remember that study? Uh, well, there have, uh, there have been actually, at, um, I might just backtrack for a minute okay. and, and come back to this. Can I come forward to this again, um, if that's okay. all right? So basically, like the if you know if if we if right if we double click on the notion, you know, so there are, there are a few different things that people mean when they say core, right? Okay. So sometimes they mean like everything between your ribs and your hips, um, you know, just ab strengthening basically, and sometimes yep. they mean you know the deep muscles, you know, transverse abdominis, pelvic floor, diaphragm, lumbar multifidus, which is a deep spinal muscle. And, yeah. and usually when they're talking about the latter, you know, so let's double click on this, you know, the inner core, you know, your diaphragm, your pelvic floor, your transverse abdominis, et cetera. And let's, uh -huh. let's then double click on transversus abdominis because that there's a shitload of research being done on this, like literally yeah. hundreds of studies have been done on this. Um, and so basically the, the, the basic premise, you know, uh, comes from some research out of uh, – University of Queensland in Australia in 1999 from um, Hodges and Richardson and uh, Jull, I think was a co-author, um, where they they looked at people with back pain. They had, they had two groups of like, I think they were second year physiotherapy students because, uh, you know, of course, 99% of these studies are done on university undergraduates because that's, you know, if like if you're a university lecturer and you're doing research, like who, who have you got access to? to exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these are second year physiotherapy students. And they basically divided them into two groups, you know, the group with back pain, the group without back pain, right? And so they had, you know, I can't remember, it was like 20 or 30 people in the study. So half of them had back pain, half of them didn't. And then what they did was they put some EMGs, some electromyographs. So there's, you know, myo is muscle. So they just electrically graphed the, the activity of the muscle. Basically, when a muscle fires, uh, there's an electrical signal, a nerve impulse is the electrical signal that sort of triggers the muscle and mm -hmm. and a bigger electrical signal, in, in other words, a bigger nerve impulse correlates generally with a, a, a more forceful contraction of the muscle. So if you mm -hmm. can measure the electricity going to the muscle, you know, and you can measure more or less electricity, you can measure how much the muscle's contracting. And if you measure like when the electrical signal occurs you can measure like when the muscle is recruited. So they basically Ooh. stick these electrodes on, you know, they shave someone's, you know, little patch of, you know, abdomen or back or whatever, shoulder, and stick an electrode on there and uh, with some gel and then measure. Um, and that what they measured was they got them to stand on one leg. Oh, was it stand on? No, they got, to they got them to stand and then raise an arm 
and they got them to then stand and raise, or, you know, instead of the arm, they raised a leg uh, and they had electrodes on their, when they raised the arm, they had an electrode on their deltoid muscle and another electrode on their, I guess it must have been a fine wire electrode, so rather than a pad, it must have been a wire that stuck in to the transversus abdominis, you know, which is mm-hmm. the deepest layer of abdominal, so that's why they would have had a fine wire. Uh, and... And what they found was, and the same on the leg, they had one on, I can't remember which muscle it was on the leg, let's say it was the glute or the hip flexor or something like that, Um, and then one on the transverse abdominis. And what they found was in the people with no low back pain, no history of low back pain, the transversus abdominis fired something like 12 milliseconds or something, you know, before the deltoid, right? So as you prepare to lift your arm, the transverse abdominis fired, you know, presumably to kind of hold the spine still. Right. But what they found in the people with chronic low back pain was that the deltoid fired first and the transversus abdominis fired after the deltoid. Right. And so this basically was a, you know, major kind of, there was major excitement about this and people got really uh, you know, interested in studying this because it's like, oh, well, if we can then, you know, if this is the case, that people with low back pain, their transversus abdominis fires late. Well, if we can train them to tra- to fire it earlier, maybe we can fix their back pain, right? So this was pretty exciting, and subsequently, like you know, literally hundreds of studies were were done over the, the next few years, uh, and it's so that was terribly exciting. And basically, um, people took the ball and ran with it, and you know, books were written, and you know, whole and like. Uh, training courses were developed and whatever based around this concept of retraining people to fire their transverse abdominis in preparation for movement. Um, but mm. subsequent research, so that was, this was in 1999 or 1998, that paper. And so mm. subsequent research um, has sh- has showed a different picture. So what we see um, with people with low back pain is that f- with for some of them, their transverse abdominis fires are you know later than uh, you know, the deltoid or the whatever other, you know, the the mus- the moving muscle, you know, fires first and then the transversus fires second. But for other people, the transversus fires first and it fires way earlier than the deltoid, right? For some people with low back pain, their transversus abdominis actually fires more intensely than people without back pain. So it's actually recruited to a higher degree than people without low back pain. So in other words, what we see is, in low back pain, people have a heterogeneous presentation. It's like there's not one pattern mm. of people with low back pain or have this one sort of muscle firing pattern. No, some of them fire early, some of them fire late, some of them fire more, some of them fire mm. less. Like there's mm. no pattern. The pattern is there's no pattern, right? So, right. yeah, so that's been like well and truly documented. It's very, very, you know, it's it's now there's there's hundreds of studies, like I said. It's, it's very clear that there is a broad heterogeneous kind of, you know, range of, you know, muscle f- recruitment order. Um, and there's no, you can't look at someone's EMG graph and go, oh, this person has low back pain because look when they're, XYZ muscle fired. It's just you, you can't identify people with back pain based on their firing sequence because there's no particular pattern that's associated with back pain. So what you're saying, Rafi, is that human beings are unique and that back pain is complex and multifactorial always. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. it was one of those things that like when the first research came out, it was like, oh, this is really exciting. You know, it's like, 
I mean, if we found, you know, if there was some research that, that came out that was like, oh, we found a cure for this disease, right? Mm. They'll be like, oh, yeah. freaking awesome, right? But then yeah. they'll do yeah. 10 more studies and all of those 10 more studies find like, oh, actually, no, it's not, you know, mm. it wasn't a cure. It's like, oh, well, I guess we just got it wrong the first time, right? And so that's mm. that's what we have to be like. That's the attitude we have to take with this area of research now is it's just – yeah, there was that one study. And there have been a couple of others right. that showed transverse abdominis fired later in people with back pain. But for every one that showed it fired later, there were another one or yeah, two Yeah, because I distinctly remember yeah. this one that showed it fired earlier. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, that's really interesting because the the application, you know, to what I was doing then, I'm thinking, well, if I'm if I'm consciously, you know, asking this person to consciously, you know, engage further, you know, their transverse abdominis, and I'm not doing that, you know, I, I probably would be better off, you know, working with that client with doing all sorts of other things and potentially some relaxing of that because, you know, maybe there's some toe contraction going on or whatnot, you know, and people, you know, going down a rabbit hole there. But so, okay, so to loop it back then, well, why why is core stability, you know, still being still being cued and still being thought of a thing and and why do we like what should we do about it what should we do instead uh well, i don't know why it's still being cued as a thing i mean i think it's probably um, still being taught unfortunately yeah in a lot of outdated curriculums maybe yeah. that's the well, answer there i think there's um you know i mean we run an education institution so we know something about how much work it is to change the curriculum of a course. You know, that's a, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of, you know, you have to redo all of your videos and all of your workbooks and all of your textbooks and all of your lesson plans and all of your assessments. It's a lot. Everyone notes. in every department has to get involved and it's all like, marketing. oh, that's, yeah, yeah. yeah. Every, like there's a big amount of work and we yeah. just run a tiny little, we run a tiny little business. We've got 23 staff, right? And so we're just changing, we're just changing our diploma right now. And so, there's only three, four of us now involved in teaching the diploma, right? And and all four, like the all the people who write who write it are also teaching. So it's like such a tight yeah. little team that we yeah. can, you know, we can we can change things. It still takes us like a year to change it. But imagine yeah. imagine you work at a, I don't know Victoria University, you know, and they've got like fifty thousand students on their campus, right? And you've, you're in the osteopathy department or the physiotherapy department or the exercise science department or whatever, and you've got like, mm. a, you know, you've got a hundred lecturers in that department, right? Mm. And you've got a five-year degree if you're an osteopathy course, right? Or a four-year degree if you're physiotherapy or exercise physiology. Mm. And, and all right, so some new research comes out, mm. right? Well, you've, you've to change university curriculum, you can't, the lecturer can't just go in and go, oh, you know what, I'm going to change all my lectures for next year. No, they have to put it through like committee after committee after committee, right? It has to go through so much bureaucratic red tape. Um, you know, if, if anyone's ever worked in a university, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. It's like it literally takes years to get something approved at, in a, curriculum-wise at a university. And so it takes them like two to four years of going through this you know, massive bureaucratic red tape to, you know, to approve a new curriculum. Um, mm-hmm. and But before that, like someone has to become aware of it, right? So someone has to become aware of it, you know, mm. write the new curriculum, which is no mean feat, and then you have to get it approved. And then, okay, so you've got it approved. So now you have to like create all of the lecture notes, all of the assessments, all of the tutorials. You have to brief all of the lecturers. Like that's another year, right? And then – then you've got a five-year degree, right? So if you start teaching that now, 
the first graduates who are going to have that new information are going to graduate in five years. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, oh boy, oh boy. And then it's like, you got to start again. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and uh-huh. by this time, the information you're inserting into the new course is already five years out of date, you know, even the, yeah. the first day you teach it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think that that highlights that <laughs> really well. I think to, uh, you know, core stability and stabilize this and stabilize that, uh, as we've spoken about before, you know, in, in other podcast episodes, it's also just part and parcel seemingly of some of the lexicon of teaching Pilates and, you know, it's kind of it's the thing you say, right? It's the, you know, you're meant to say that if you're teaching Pilates. Can, you know, yeah, it's one can, of those parroted cues. Can I, can I go a step further and say, yeah. like, well, if you're like stop Pilates, right, or uh, and I don't really have any first-hand knowledge of Polestar, but I'm going to guess and say Polestar is probably in the same boat, right? But I know mm-hmm. a little bit about Stop, stop Pilates because I was a Stop Pilates certified instructor and I was a Stop Pilates instructor trainer for a number of years mm-hmm. and I've trained at the head office in Toronto a bunch of times. So, you know, I know I know a thing or two about the mm-hmm. the inner workings of their organisation at, at a at a teaching level, right? I was never part of their business, you know, group. Uh, and I, mm-hmm. you know disclaimer i let i've haven't been affiliated with stop pilates since 2012 so they may well have you know <laughs> things may well be different there now although from what i see from the outside they're not mm-hmm. um but if you're stop pilates and you you're you've trained twenty thousand instructors right worldwide and you've got this sort of you know global business that is certifying instructors you know five thousand a year or whatever number they're doing i don't know what number um, and you've got, you know, like you have got like literally hundreds, possibly thousands of DVDs that you've created and you've got like, you know, billions of dollars worth of manuals that you've created. You know, like there are, there are comprehensive, full color, high gloss, you know, manuals for every one of their like seven or eight courses that you need to do to become fully certified. And each one of them is, you know, cost the student something like, you know, US 50 or $70. Mm-hmm. Like they're really, you know, glossy, beautiful manuals. That's like a major effort and expense to, you know, print those out. So now you've got like, I don't know, again, I'm just guessing, but let's just say like a couple of thousand instructor trainers worldwide, Right many of them whom English is not their first language, they're in Brazil or Japan or, you know, wherever. Um, and and you've got an office in Toronto and your office staff is like, I don't know, like 30, 40 people, something like that. It's like, okay, well, if you if new, some new research comes out and it's like, okay, core stability is not a thing, right? And you have got like, you know, $50 million worth of stock of DVDs and, you know, manuals and whatever, that all say core stability, right? And mm-hmm. you've got like in, you know, 2,000 or 5,000, whatever number of instructors, instructor trainers around the world who are, who have been trained, you know, like drilled on this curriculum of teaching core stability, right? Mm-hmm. Like imagine how much time, money and effort to turn that ship, you know, to, to turn the Titanic, you know, off its course. It's like, it's going to take like millions of dollars and, and decades to retrain all of those people. You know, it's like, it's an in, like inconceivably massive job. And so it's like much easier to just go, you know what, fuck it. Let's just keep teaching the same shit we've been teaching. Yeah. So look, guys, we're not saying, you know, don't do core work. And don't, you know, like... <laughs> 
Pilates is. There's a lot of, you know, whatever core, wherever, whatever you think of core, you know, abs, whatever, there's a lot of that in Pilates, right? But we don't need to be saying you need to work on your core stability. We mm-hmm. don't need to be – That's uh, this is where I think we've got to be really clear um, because there is – there's there's no danger, okay? So I think when we're talking about these concepts, Raph, for those that, you know, there might <laughs> – those teachers out there that might still be on the fence and still still saying this because they're like, well, don't I need to do that in order to keep my client safe? Um, and, and, you know, what's the harm in saying that? Why do I need to, like, don't be so precious, you guys. I think we need to zoom in on that a little bit because there's a, there's a fuck ton of harm that can come out of telling someone their spine's unstable. Like, a, like, yeah. um, well, a lot. Uh, right. So I think there are two real big reasons why you should, uh, you know, not use the word stability. Um, yeah. uh, and, you know, like Chloe said, like, I'm all in favor of like strengthen your abs. Great. Go for it. Strengthen your back, strengthen your bum, strengthen your arms, strengthen, like strengthen, strengthen all, all the all things. The we love yeah. strengthening all the things. Yeah. Hell yeah. Like it's great for people to have strong bodies. Like it's empowering to have a strong body. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels fantastic, you know, mm-hmm. and there's so many health benefits and so many mental health. Longevity. Like, exactly. Like oh everything. Yeah. Fantastic yeah. to have strength, right? Including yes. ab strength, but it's got nothing to do with uh, safety in terms of stability. Um, so, uh, so I think there are two reasons why you should stop using the word stability in, in general, yes. not just in core, but like everywhere. Yeah, um, pelvic stability and just stability. You don't stability, need to use the word stability. stability hip stability, ankle yeah. stability. No, just, just ban that word. Banish that word. Don't use it. Mm-hmm. Um, use strength, you know, shoulder strength. You know, mm-hmm. use that instead. Um mm-hmm. Uh, so anyway, so why should you why should you get rid of that word? One, it's not a fucking thing. It's just not a thing. You're you're like you when you look back in ten years, it's going to be like looking is a photo of yourself wearing really bad '90s fashion. You'll be like embarrassed that you were doing it, and you were teaching core stability and posting about core stability. And it's like you look back and go, oh fuck, I was such an idiot. You know, like I've done that with a couple <laughs> of my posts, Raph. I've done that with one where I was hanging shit on. Push up form, right, like you so. know, we like, but I, but I was able to look at that and go, wow, I am so glad I continued to educate yeah. myself from there and continued to be cognitively agile and don't have to hold on to that to save my face, like yeah. you know. So get on yeah. the right side of history, like it has been, you know, like <clears throat> I mentioned before that there are a bunch of studies that show that you know people's transverse abdominus activates before, during, or after more or less or the same, you know, regardless of whether they have back pain, <laughs> yeah. and. There have been a, num- a large number of intervention studies as well, where, as well, where we have retrained people's transverse abdominus, lumbar multifidus, et cetera, to mm-hmm. try and prevent or cure back pain. And what we've found, like, again and again and again and again and again, like seven systematic reviews, right, have all found no added benefit of core uh, stability training when you add it if, like if you just do general strengthening you know some push-ups some sit-ups some squats some lunges whatever and then if you do that plus you know transverse abdominus activation there is no additional benefit on back pain or for prevention or cure it just doesn't add 
any extra value. It's not a fucking thing. It's really, really not a thing. And it's Mm. so not a thing that science has even kind of lost interest in it now. It's like, it's such a boring question because there are like seven freaking systematic reviews in the last Mm. 10 years or 14 years that all found the same freaking thing. Like it's a settled question. And the answer is no. Like it's just mm. not a thing. So mm. if you're still if you're still doing it and it's 2020, like now's the time to change. Now's the time yeah. to get rid of that old 90s wardrobe and you know upgrade. You know start doing start rolling with the with the present you know mm. flow. And Raf, can we link in a systematic just pop a systematic review? Yeah, I'm in I'm, I'm going to read uh, the conclusions from there was there was a systematic review in the two most recent ones are 2014 and 2016, and that shows it like. Scientists just lost interest in this in 2016. It's like, okay. They did, didn't they? Like, <laughs> it's got yeah, boring. That's, guys, that's done. Let's stop now. Here's a 2014 <laughs> one. Um, this is Smith et al. Um, BMC musculoskeletal disorders, 2014, an update of stabilization exercises for low back pain, a systematic review with meta-analysis by Benjamin E. Smith, Chris Littlewood, and Stephen May. Uh, conclusion, quote, there is strong evidence Stabilization exercises are not more effective than any other form of active exercise in the long term. The low levels of heterogeneity and large number of high methodological quality of available studies at long-term follow-up strengthen our our current findings and further research is unlikely to considerably alter this conclusion, end quote. Now that, I mean, almost, if you ever read scientific research... Oh, yes, it always says. Oh, oh, can I answer yeah, this? One? Yeah, yeah, Because <laughs> yeah. I always. This is like I was just talking with my dip crew the other day about this. It always says further research is required. Right. Always, and it and it's so frustrating. I remember when I did a research um, topic on you know went looking for uh, you know re- latest research on pelvic organ prolapse, and I'm like. Every single one was like, no, we need more research, better quality research. Holy moly. Can you read that last sentence again, Ralph? Just one more time for the people at the back. The low levels of heterogeneity and large number of high methodological quality of available studies at long-term follow-up strengthen our current findings and further research is unlikely to considerably alter this conclusion. Oh, mic drop. And that was in 2014, right? And so, Whoa. But, but just to be on the safe side. Yeah, we- because people kept saying it and saying, but but he's sure because I get these results. I get these results in my clinic with these people when I do this. Oh, man. So just to be on the safe side, we did a bunch more randomized controlled trials. <laughs> and then in 2016, there was a Cochrane systematic review, which is widely agreed amongst everybody to be the gold standard of uh-huh. systematic reviews. Um, and so this is a Cochrane systematic review in the journal Spine, motor control exercise for non-specific low back pain, a Cochrane review from 2016 by Bruno Saragiotto et al. And their conclusions, quote, motor control exercise is probably more effective than a minimal intervention for reducing pain, but probably does not have an important effect on disability in patients with chronic low back pain. There was no clinically important difference between motor control exercise and other forms of exercise or manual therapy for acute or chronic low back pain, end quote. No clinically important difference between motor control exercise and other forms of exercise for acute or chronic low back pain. It's no better. If you add it to exercise, to add it to normal exercise, it doesn't add any more benefit. It's just not a thing. 
Not it's not a thing. And then, however, the messaging or the, the take-home of a, of your client who thinks that their spine is inherently unstable can have huge detrimental effects on their life. Um, I recall uh, an amazing um, podcast episode uh, Adam Meekins did with um, Amy Amy Bush. I hope I'm getting I hope I'm getting her name right. Sorry, Amy, if I'm I'm not. Um, in in his NAF Physio podcast, uh, and you can guys can go and fo- find it. You should be listening to the NAF Physio podcast as well. We're we're great. Love love some Meeks and and Layman. And this was this was an episode where Layman didn't show up or something, <laughs> so Meeks got a guest in. And Amy spoke about and the title of it is um the dangers. It, it talk, talk it's called talking about pelvic instability. That's the title uh-huh. of the podcast episode. So you can find it, the NAF Physio podcast, talking about pelvic instability. And it's it's Amy's personal story. She shares her – and she now works in the, the, the pain science realm, right? But it's her story of when as a teenager and she was um, – I, I remember I think potentially competitive swimmer, et cetera, at school and college, and uh, something happened. She had a pain episode. I don't want to tell her story if I'm not telling it accurately, but cut a long story short, she was told um, that she had an inherently unstable pelvis and that was the cause of her pain and that she should no longer swim and that she could never bear children. There was a whole lot in it. She went down the route of having surgery like and I think potentially multiple surgeries, this impacted her life for many, 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 many years in a huge, huge way for something that, you know, ultimately – so nocebo is real, yeah. guys. It is real. It is insidious. Um, and if you think, hey, there's no harm in using the word stability – Think again, like really think again, choose again, choose a different word. And, and Raf, we've spoken about this before. We think sometimes too, instructors might get a little um, confused and use the word stability when they just kind of mean keep still. Keep still. So it's like, yeah. so it's when I hear, you know, you know, uh, keep your pelvis stable or keep your core stable. Um, when when I'm watching them teach and I'm thinking, uh, I think what they're trying to get across to their client is they kind of just want that bit to stay as still as possible, yeah. you know. So I say to them, hey, use the word still. <laughs> use the word still. Get rid of I, I, I'm not okay with the word stabilised being used on, on my watch. And, well, the, and yeah. the reason why is it's harmful, potentially really harmful. Yeah, and actually like in biomechanics, stable doesn't and still don't mean the same thing. Um, stable in biomechanics has a very particular meaning, it may, and in physics as well. It means when you disturb something, it returns to its resting state. You know, so if if you like, think of the one of those Humpty Dumpty dolls, you know, the ones that you can kind of whack, the inflatable dolls that sit on the floor and you kind of whack them and they, they pop back up. Mm-hmm. Do you know the ones I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. so that that's something, that's an example of something that's stable. Or, or think about a... Like a a a tennis ball in a salad bowl, right? Like mm-hmm. if you if that tennis ball is sitting at the bottom of the salad bowl, and you give it a bit of a push with your fingers, right? It'll mm-hmm. it'll get pushed a bit of the way up the wall of the salad bowl, then it'll roll back down, it'll roll and roll and roll and roll, and then eventually come to rest in exactly the same place it was in before, right? Mm. Whereas if you turn the salad bowl upside down, and put the tennis ball on the very top of the upturned salad bowl. 
right? Mm-hmm. And then give it a little nudge with your fingers. It rolls down and rolls off along the floor and it's not going to come back to rest in the same place it was before. So mm-hmm. in, in this example, in, in the context of the definition of stability in physics and biomechanics, the, the tennis ball inside the salad bowl is a stable system, right? If you perturbate it, it returns to its resting state. You know, if you, if you mm. disrupt it, it comes back to rest at where it was. Whereas when you turn the salad bowl over and put the tennis ball on top, that's an unstable system because any disruption to that tennis ball is probably going to send it off in some random direction. It's not going to mm. come back, right? So stable means in, in biomechanics, you know, which is what we're talking about, means it's going to return to its resting state. It, that's not the same thing as keeping still, right? Because if when the tennis ball is in the bottom of the salad bowl and you push it, it doesn't stay still. It moves, but then it comes back to its resting state. Mm. Yeah. So, like, I don't think people even know what it means. Like, they, they say mm. stable when they actually mean still. Yeah. I, I, I totally, totally agree. Yeah. I totally agree. All right. Yeah. So, all right. So, there's a couple of good mm. reasons why mm. you shouldn't be using the word stability. One is it's not a fucking thing, and you're going to look back and go, "Holy shit! I can't believe I was still saying that in 2020." And certainly right. not in your Pilates class. Like, you know, if someone's shoulders just been dislocated on the football f- field, and that, you know, it's like, like potentially that shoulder at that moment is not stable. Yeah, I think we can agree with that. Shoulder, yeah. That's an unstable shoulder. Your shoulder's just been dislocated. That's an unstable shoulder, right? Yeah. Genuinely unstable. Didn't uh-huh. return to its resting position. Did not return to its resting position, right? But in your Pilates classes, people aren't, hopefully, dislocating well, if, their shoulders if I, if and I, their... If I lie on my back and we're doing tabletop legs or dead bugs or something and I lift up my right leg with the knee bent and the, my right ASIS, the right side of my pelvis, like drops down one centimetre, is that unstable? No, but I dare say that there's a what of Pilates instructors that would tell you it is and tell you to stabilise it. Do I need to go to the emergency room? No, you do not need to go to the emergency room. <laughs> that is not an inherently unstable pelvis. <laughs> okay, good to know. Yeah, yeah, right? And and there's that great, you know, I remember that great meme and I think I've already quoted it somewhere else, but that Peter, Peter O'Sullivan put up and it's like, you know, They've, he talked, you know, ER doctors have said that, like, he talked to an ER doctor and he's like, I've seen people come in from car accidents and the the one thing that's still in place is, like, their SIJ okay, yeah. and they're, you know, every, like, it's, we are, <laughs> your pelvis is not unstable. Hey, there was this really interesting study um, uh, on um, looking at transversus abdominis, you know, they, they did, you know, one of the many randomized control trials I've done looking at uh, retraining people's transverse abdominus timing and then seeing if that oh, helped yeah. with their low back pain. There was oh, a yeah. really, really, really interesting secondary analysis of one of these, of one of those trials. Um, and what they, f- so what they found, what they find when they do these trials is they basically, you know, they get, they get two groups of people, you know, um, with low back pain, chronic low back pain, and you know, they're all about, you know, they choose people that are all about the same age, you know, same gender, same socioeconomic status, whatever. So, you know, so then they divide them randomly into two groups. So each group has, you know, it looks, each group on average is the same age, same gender, same whatever, you know, so basically the groups are identical. And mm-hmm. then they give one group, um, you know, motor control exercise or in other words retraining their transversus abdominis um, and they give the other group something else like either nothing or you know general exercise or whatever uh, and in this particular study they gave one group uh, the 
transverse abdominus, you know, spinal stability training. And the other group, they got general graded exercise. So they basically, you know, got, you know, lunges and squats and push-ups and curl-ups and stuff like that. And they graded it. So they, you know, gradually increased, you know, progressed the the difficulty level, you know, made the, you know, guy went from kneeling push-ups to full push-ups, you know, added yeah. more lunges and more squats, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then what they found, you know, then 12 weeks later or whatever, lo and behold, everyone's improved about the same amount, right? No difference between the two groups. Both of the interventions were effective. So, uh, you know, core stability training helps no more or less than any other form of exercise, just like we've seen, you know, 10,000 times before. And in fact, literally any form of exercise works. Like you can go for a walk, you can do heavy deadlifting, you can do like literally anything works, just get moving. Mm-hmm. Um, and so core stability exercise, you know, unsurprisingly, you know, um, work no better or worse than anything else. And um, But what we find is when we compare two groups, so just say you've got a group of 100 people and, we, you know, so we divide them into two groups, 50 people get the core stability exercise, the other 50 people get general strengthening. We find that on average, the two groups do the same, right? But mm-hmm. not everybody does the same, you know. In each group, some people do really well and some people hardly get any improvement at all and some people get worse, right? Mm-hmm. But on average, what we find is the group's, are even, right? Time after time after time after time after time. So what they tried to do in this study was they tried to tease out, okay, well, in the transversus abdominis retraining group, some of those people got extraordinary results, right? And some of them hardly got any results and some of them actually got worse. And the same in the general exercise group. Some of them got incredible results. Pain's gone, you know, 100% gone. Some of them were like, no, I'm worse than when I started, you bastard. <laughs> and, <laughs> and some of them were like, yeah, it's about the same, right? So how can we tease apart, like, what was different about those people who got extraordinary results? Like, did the, And so what they, they investigated was they investigated a couple of things. The first thing they looked at was in this uh, secondary analysis was they looked at the changes in transversus abdominis timing, and recruitment and muscle thickness. So they measured these all by ultrasound in this study. And so what they looked at was like how much, you know, because, you know, if you get a group of 50 people and retrain their transverse abdominis to, you know, retrain them to activate their transverse abdominis earlier, right, some of them are going to pick it up more easily. You know, some of them are going to be faster to learn that skill. You know, mm-hmm. just like if we taught a 50 group of 50 people how to juggle or ride a bike or play the piano, like some of them would pick it up quicker than others, right? Um, and so, you know, at the end of the eight weeks or 12 weeks or whatever, you know, some people had significantly improved the timing, you know, recruited their transverse abdominis significantly earlier and others were like, eh, <laughs> they hadn't really made much progress. They weren't that body aware. They weren't able to, you know, to make those, right, right to take on that, that new skill, right? And- you know, lo and behold, some people had great results and some people had pretty average results. But guess what? The people who had the biggest changes in transverse abdominis timing were not the people who got the best results. Right? In fact, how much your transverse abdominis timing changed was, was unrelated to your results. Like it was just not correlated. Um, and what? But the other thing that they measured was at the start of the study, they asked them uh, some questions about their perceptions about their pain and what was going on. Um, and one of those questions did have a high correlation with who got better results and who didn't in each group. And mm-hmm. so the question was uh, about people's self-rated spinal instability. 
So people, what they found in this secondary analysis was people with higher self-rated spinal instability, you know, higher self-perceived spinal instability Uh did better with transversus abdominis retraining and people with lower self-rated spinal instability did better with graded general exercise, right? So if if you think you're fragile and unstable, well, stabilization exercise is probably going to help you. And if you think you're stable and you just need to strengthen up your back, well, probably strengthening up your back is just going to help okay. you. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to put my hand up here, though, and go, where did where did anyone ever get the notion that they're inherently unstable? Do you know what I mean? You, like someone's – like they've got to have got that from a healthcare provider, Precisely. you know? Like you don't just – the average Joe Blow doesn't walk around going, oh, my spine's unstable unless – They've kind of been told that, right? Yes. So I think, you know, it, this is like I think, you know, I I, I, I kind of jumped in on your point before you were, you were, you were rounding us off with, with a couple of key takeaways and so that the first takeaway being, well, it's not a thing. Um, was your second takeaway potentially that it also can be dangerous to use those words or? Yeah, well, I, w- I guess I think there's a bit of nuance there. Yeah. Uh, which is that, well, just stop fucking saying to people that they're unstable, right? And don't stop, stop, stop saying that. And that's not, the, this isn't the nuanced bit, by the way. Um, I was going to say that that's not overly nuanced, right? Um, and, 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 and not only don't say that they're unstable, stop using the word stable because stable is part of a dichotomy, right? It's a stable, mm. unstable or it's a continuum, right? It, it has its opposite. It has its yin and yang. So if you say stable, there's un- unstable lurking underneath it somewhere, right? So mm-hmm. just stop saying, don't say that word ever, like with your clients, just don't say it. All right. So, the, But the second thing is, and here's where the nuance comes in. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. If you're an instructor, right, and you're not using those words, you never say the word stable, you never say the word unstable, you just strengthen people, right? Good for you. High five. And High then five. your client comes in. Right, new client. Your client comes in and they've got a sore back, and you're like, "Okay, what do you think's going on with your back?" And they say, "I'm unstable." Right, and you're thinking, "Like you poor bugger, someone's told you you're unstable." Right. Well, in that situation, I, if it was me, I would be tempted to do some core stability work. Right. Do you need to use the word core stability work? You could say core strengthening. You could use the word strength, right? Right. No, I would use the word stability. In fact, I think that's the only effective part really? of the treatment. Because, like, if we think about that secondary analysis, right, the people who had the best results with core stability training were the ones who thought they were unstable and they thought they were getting something to, quote, stabilize them, right? Now, whether it, quote, stabilized them or not, in other words, whether their transverse abdominus timing changed or not, Made no difference, right? So it wasn't they weren't actually getting stabilized, but it was a basically a placebo, right? They thought they thought they were unstable, they thought they were getting stabilized, therefore they got better. Did the study did the study say what exercises were being used? In case uh, everyone anyone's out there going, What what do you even mean by like, what 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 would that sort of exercise? So they just did they just did basically transverse abdominus activation, you know, supine, right. you know, lie on your tummy, put a put a ultrasound machine on your transverse abdominus. Right. Activate okay. your transverse abdominus without activating your obliques, blah, blah, blah. But, but oh, okay, so, yeah. right, so this might be too much nuance, you know, for some people. I don't know. Let's see how you go. But so it might be too much nuance for me. <laughs> so, I'm like, I'm not saying the word, Raph. 
<laughs> so if somebody came in to me and said, you know, I've got a sore back, I, I would never use the word stable, unstable, never use that word. Um, but I would say, well, what do you think's going on? You know, what 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 do you think the problem is? Ab- absolutely, because we should always be saying that and asking that and right. listening to that. And if they didn't the- if they didn't say the word stable or unstable, that word would never be mentioned, right? It would just it's not not part of the conversation. But if they bring it up, right? If they initiate and say, I think my back's unstable, right? Now we might go a little bit into that and say, well, why do you think that or whatever? Um, and and if if it if if I feel like that is a kind of a strongly held belief that they have, right? Rather than challenging it, I might be tempted to just go, huh, okay, well, you've just given because we know, you know, and this is another area of research that is, you know, fairly well understood that expectation is the best predictor of outcome, you know, in, in many areas of musculoskeletal pain, right? So the, the people who believe they're going to have a good outcome before they start their program, they're actually the ones who have the best outcomes, right? So if we can do stuff to enhance people's expectation of good outcome, I think that's all to the well. Um, so if that person came to me and I felt they had, a, they had a strongly held belief, you know, like if they were just like, oh, I'm, I think my back's unstable. And I said, oh, why do you think that? And they were like, oh, I don't know. Be like, okay, great. Well, let's let's not work on that because I don't feel like that's a strongly held belief, right? But if they said to me like, oh no, my chiropractor told me ten times, and I've got the back of an eighty year old, and I cry to myself to sleep every night thinking about it, and I've got burn, mm. on, you know, it's like if I'm thinking like, oh yeah, this is this is like an important belief for this person, right? This is something that's that's emotionally having a big impact on them. Mm. Um, then rather than saying no, your chiropractor's wrong, you're wrong here's the truth, right? Because that can be a hard pill for people to swallow. Um, I would be much more inclined to say, huh, well, if you want to stabilize your back, like you've really truly come to the right place because if there's one thing I know how to do, it's helped to stabilize your back and we're going to stabilize the absolute living shit out of your back. Your back will be so fucking stable. Like, you know, People will be like bouncing off you. You'll be so incredibly. Now, we don't. Now, we're just going to do normal Pilates, right? We're not going to do transverse abdominis activation, right? Why? Client doesn't know about it. Client doesn't care about it. Client doesn't give two shits. If we just do a plank and I say to them, hey, this is really stabilizing your back, they'll be like, oh, awesome. And then we do some roll ups and I say, hey, this one's great for stabilizing your back. And then we're doing some, I don't know you know, elephants or whatever, and I'm going, oh, this is a great stability exercise for your back. They'll be like, oh, awesome, fantastic. I'll I'll be saying, yeah, I think this is really going to help you feel a lot better really quickly. They'll be like, hey, I think I feel better already. So I would just be using it basically shamelessly as a placebo in that circumstance. Mm. How's that for nuance? Mm. It's definitely definitely nuanced. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. What, what What are your thoughts on that? You think, it's uneth- you think it's unethical, don't you? You know I'm having a bit of a problem with it. Yeah, I, I can hear that. I can hear the edge. <laughs> uh, yeah, look, I mean, I have had many a client um, o- over the years, you know, present with it. The classic one is the, the you know, the weak core. I don't know that I've heard a lot of clients say to me, my core is unstable. I have had people say pelvis yeah. is unstable. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, the main one I had when I was doing, you know, doing a lot more work with clients was 
I've been told I've got a weak core. I've been told I've got a weak core. That's why I've got a sore back. I've got a shit house core. My core's shot. Rah, rah, rah. And uh, for me, of course, I listened and I'm like, well, you've come to Pilates. Fantastic. We can can get your, get your core as Pilates, strong. Yeah. I can get your core as strong as. Let's go. And I would just go from there, right? Um Mm, I would, you know, uh, I don't know if I'd feed back the word unstable. I wouldn't. I wouldn't ever say unstable. Oh no, I you're feeding back. You're sorry. You're feeding back stable, stable. You're feeding back stabilization. Yeah. I'd be walking yeah. past them, going, "Look, look at you. Look how stable your back is in this one. Freaking yeah. awesome." You know. <laughs> I think I would transition the word stable to strong quite quickly. So I think for me, if I if if I'm beholden to nuance, then that nuance would be okay. Well, I'm if if need be to to resonate with that client to you know feel that they feel so they feel they feel heard and that I've listened to what they think their issue is. Yeah, if I need to use that word, but then I would I would you know would you transition that word you, to would strength. You, would you cross your fingers behind your back every time you said it? Yeah, and I'd be worried. My nose was growing heaps longer each time. <laughs> no, I, so- <laughs> Here's the, here's the thing. I think, and this is where you and I diverge just a little bit. I don't have a problem. I don't know, you know, creatively interpreting the truth. If it's in, you know, if I feel it's clearly, you know, give in the client's best interest to do so. Mm. You know, I feel like the client doesn't need to know what's under the hood. You know, like when I take my car to the mechanic and I say, "Can you fix the air conditioner?" Right. I don't care if it's a battery problem or a wiring problem or a compressor. Like I don't I don't know. I don't want to know. Like I just want the darn compressor to start working and my cool air to, you know, come into the car. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when I pick it up, all I want to know is like how much was it and is it fixed? Mm-hmm. You know, I don't care what the fuck they did. Mm. Right. I have to trust them because like if they told me they did this, that or the other, I wouldn't know the difference. Mm. Right. So I think it's kind of the same with our clients with us. Like we care, you know, like I'm sure if, if I'm the mechanic, right, I care about whether I change the compressor or fix the wiring. I mean, that's pretty important. Right. And I want to know about that. And, and I want, if I want to hire mechanics to work at my mechanic shop, I want them to know the difference between a broken compressor and a broken wiring, you know, but, mm-hmm. but, but the client doesn't want to know that. I think, you know, when our clients come to us, they don't want, they don't care about, motor control or transverse abdominis or, you know, freaking pelvic this, that, or the other. Like they just want their back to stop hurting and they want to get back to being able to play with their kids or go for a bike ride or participate in sports or sit and watch a movie with their girlfriends or whatever. You know, like they want to they want to get back to doing the things that they love in life and not being limited by this, you know, pain or disability that they're they're experiencing. So really all they want to know is like, you know, what do I have to do? How much is it going to cost? And can you fix it? You know, like that's, can we, can we get rid of this? You know, and they don't, they don't need to know what goes on under the bonnet. I don't think they want to be educated, most of them. What do you think? Uh, I think, I think, I think that's probably a topic, a whole topic in itself, I reckon. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a that's a top. I, I, I think everyone is individual and I think, you know, it, it, some clients, 
do I've had clients that do want to know more and you know clients that you know uh, have you know gone down the track that I'm like well would you like to know more about pain and they absolutely would and that's where I send them things like you know Mosley's um great great you know um taming the beast video and things like that there's some really you know great resources out there for clients who would like to know more about why things hurt right but that's absolutely like absolutely not all clients and some clients are literally just like I don't want to know just do just just do the thing. This is what I think's hurting. Let's, you know, I, yeah. But then there's also that, you know, I'm not going to be able to get rid of everyone's pain. I'm maybe no, not even no. going to be able to help someone's pain. But yeah. what I can do is I can help hopefully restore someone's faith in their body that even with pain, etc., they can still do the things they love. They can still exercise. Yeah. They can still all of those things, find empowerment uh, in that. So, yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah. I yeah. agree. Juicy convo, Ralph. Yeah. Did we, hey, did we cover everything? Cost ability? Like, is anyone out there thinking like, oh, yeah, but should I still be taking cost ability? Like, do you think we've, is there any part that we've missed? I don't, I don't think so. I'd love to – let's loop into, you know, attach some of those studies to the show notes. Yeah. And if you ever feel like – with these podcast guys that we've just sort of just scratched the surface or something. And it's like, oh, you guys started to go down this track, but then you pulled yourselves out of it. But we really wanted to go down that track as well. Slide into my DMs, let us know, and we'll do an episode on it. Yeah, and give us some feedback because, like, you know, I mean, it's great to have, you know, we've been getting lots of great feedback and I really love it when you go five stars, fucking awesome, you guys, you know, <laughs> cut through the shit, fantastic, you know. Yeah. We got no, um, nominated for a Nobel Prize as well by one of our listeners. Thanks, was- Joe. Hey, shout out to Joe. Shout yeah. out to Joe in Poland. We love you, Joe. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Um, thanks, Joe. You know, so we, of course, you know, we love it when you, you know, you butter our toast. But, um... <laughs> But it would, you know, if, 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 I mean, really, I'm sure you've figured this out already if you're listening, but I mean, we're just shooting the shit, right? We're just, this is totally unscripted and we just make it up as we go along. So, you know, I, but I think we do have, we've developed over the, the, the weeks that we've been doing this, we have developed a little bit of a kind of a routine of like, we do try and basically stay on topic, you know, like if we say we're going to yeah. talk about cost stability and then we start going meandering down a sidetrack, you know, we sort of go, oh, let's, let's talk about that another time. And, yeah. you know, but, but if you'd prefer us to like meander, let us know. Cause like, you know, that's our kind of a natural thing that we do. So. Yeah, we are, we are, we would, for you. we are, <laughs> we're doing well at it. I love how we pull each other back on topic. It's usually me that's gone off down some track. <laughs> about to get lost. <laughs> Thanks for keeping me in line, Raph. <laughs> but yeah, if you guys want us to meander or whatever, we we really want to talk to what you would like to to hear about. So please, please uh, let us know. Yeah. Um, yeah, good talk, Chloe. Great talk, Raph. Mm. Thank you. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. 
And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.